Is your Shopify store ready for the biggest selling season of the year? Bold Commerce has some of the best apps to use during the holiday season to increase the size of almost all your orders. Maybe you're looking to run store-wide sales with countdown timers. Boom! Bold Discounts will run your scheduled promos with just a few clicks. No coupon codes required. Or maybe you're looking to maximize average order value. You can count on Bold Upsell, Bold Motivator, and Bold Bundles. With Bold Upsell, you can offer product upgrade cross-sales or complimentary products as free gifts. With Bold Bundles, you can boost average order value by bundling a few products or an entire collection so that your customers can mix and match items to get a discount. Hey, when was the last time you made an online purchase and saw a message like, spend 15 more dollars for free shipping? With Bold Motivator, you can do that same thing and more. Offer free shipping, free product, or even a percentage off the entire order. The best part is it's geolocated so it only shows offers in relevant countries. Pick and choose which apps are best for you, or use them all to boost conversion and average order value. With free bold apps for 14 days, there's no excuse not to try and boost your sales this holiday season. To get this special offer as an unofficial Shopify podcast listener, go to boldcommerce.com slash Kurt. That's boldcommerce.com slash K-U-R-T. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You already know the benefits of SEO, The higher you rank in search, the more visitors you get, and more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do it? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines more easily, and it's trusted by thousands of store owners. No surprise there, it's equal parts power, innovation, and ease of use. Think of SEO Manager as your optimization toolbox. Here's some examples. It can scan your site for issues, Offer keyword suggestions, add structured data support, analyze missing pages and redirects, and even integrate with Kit, plus a ton more tools to help you be easily found in Google searches. Best of all, it's easy to get started. You can get started in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Seriously, I have met them. They are the best. And as a special offer to you, you can get 10% off SEO Manager forever when you sign up at seomanager.com slash unofficial. That's seomanager.com slash unofficial. Today on the Unofficial Shopify Podcast, we're talking about how you're probably doing your Facebook ads wrong, or at least thinking about them wrong. Certainly you've heard of the issues with return on ad spend lately, and the the new method for looking at it, media efficiency ratio. And to talk through some of that, I, I had breakfast with a gentleman, William Harris, who's the, the founder at Element, a uh, growth agency for Shopify stores, who's helped uh, six of his client stores get acquired, the largest for $800 million, all just in the last nine months. So certainly he has some experience here, knows what he's talking about, and convinced me that there were at least three ways I had wildly screwed up my approach to Facebook ads. And so he's going to join us today and talk us through that. I'm looking forward to hear how I am painfully, sorely wrong. I'm Kurt Elster, a.k.a. Tech Nasty. And I am joined by Mr. William Harris on the phone. William, how are you doing? Good. How about you, Kurt? Good. Uh, well, we're, we're doing this over over Bluetooth and a phone. Uh, let's let's test our levels here. Check. Check. How you doing? Check. Yeah. 
Uh, no, it, it's All brutally right. bad. we got to figure out something else here. Uh, okay, I think I know how to fix it. Hang on. Is this better? What? Oh, my gosh. The man was right outside in my hallway. This was quite the elaborate bit we set up here. Why? What was the point of that elaborate bit? What were what point were we trying to make there? Yeah, the, I guess the point is just that there's something more enjoyable about the real, the tangible, the here and now. I think we've all had enough Zoom calls lately and kind of wanted to just be in person. There is something, though, about how that relates to Facebook ads. Uh, and I think that's what I'm kind of calling the ROAS death spiral. Right Whoa, ROAS death spiral. Oh, my gosh. So yeah, so, okay, the ROAS death spiral, I look at it as this idea of ROAS is fake. It is made up. It is monopoly money. It's a metric that we're looking at that isn't actually even a real thing. It, it's all based on attribution, right? So the ROAS that you have depends on, while well, you're looking at 28-day click, which we can't do anymore, but it was a thing, seven-day click, one-day view. There's a lot of different ways that you can look at this. You're looking at first click, last click. There's a lot of different things that get into making this into a metric, um, and that's even then based on if it actually can track what's happening or not. Let's back up. Okay. We're talking about Facebook ads here? Facebook ads. Okay. But this goes beyond Facebook ads. And we're talking about we need when, if I'm spending multiple thousands of dollars on advertising with Facebook. Right. I need a way to determine if that is successful. Right. And there really was only one metric everyone used for all time. It was the gold standard for a while. Yeah, it was it. Just return on ad spend. Sure. But there was, and this uh, return on ad spend worked by when someone made a purchase, it looked at, it recorded that purchase data, and it knew, all right, did you, did they look at, uh, a, did they see an ad in the last seven days? Did they click an ad in the last 28 days? Was typical. But you could mess with this. You could change your definition. So not all ROAS was, was made alike. Right. And, and then the, the larger issue we had with ROAS as a metric was who takes credit? Because Clavio took credit for right. it. Full credit for the purchase. Right. Google took full credit. Facebook took full credit. Who gets credit? And, of course, the, the metaphor I, I loved that I heard not long ago was, it's not the last beer that gets you drunk. It's all the beers. But, all right, so what I'm hearing here is with the, the, face, the iOS 15 update, we lost ROAS as a reliable metric. But uh, it's starting to sound like you weren't actually a big fan of ROAS. I wasn't a big fan of it even from the beginning. And part of the reason is because I think it allowed people to invest in some of the wrong techniques that weren't necessarily as incremental to the business. And one of the ways that I try to explain that is, let's imagine that you own a coffee shop. And I said, hey, Kurt, uh, I'm going to help you get more customers for your coffee shop. Uh, I just want you to pay me $5 for every customer I send. Um, and you say, okay, great, that sounds like a good idea. And then I go to the people that are sitting in line at your coffee store, right, at your coffee shop, and say, Hey, Billy, you should buy this coffee. It's really great. And he's like, yeah, I mean, I'm in line. I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy it. This is good, right? Uh, and at the end of the day, you, maybe you were going to make, you know, have 10 customers. You're going to make $10 customers. You're going to have $100. Um, but now uh, you have to pay me $5 for those customers that you already had in line anyways. And so you'll actually only make $50 off of that. So you, you lost money. You didn't gain any incremental revenue from this. And there's a big difference between that and if I actually walked outside of your coffee shop 
And I just grabbed somebody off the street and said, you got to come in here. This is the world's best coffee. And they said, great, sounds good. I'm going to come in. And I grabbed five new people who come in. But in Facebook or in Google or Snapchat or TikTok or any other ads platform, when you do that, the ROAS of those customers, of the net new, truly net new people, is going to be a lot lower than, say, retargeting would be, or even then say targeting your existing customers. And so by focusing on ROAS, a lot of times it allowed us to focus on just getting the same customers we already had versus going after net new people. Oh, okay. So it was skewing toward, essentially the system caused us to look at and, and skew toward where we could see the attribution. Everyone wanted to make data-driven decisions. Right. Facebook and other platforms wanted to justify your ad spend it rightfully so right and this seemed like we really didn't question this too much other than like the multiple the multiple beers scenario where like who gets credit sure you know let's how do we look at that but beyond that we didn't think that hard about it we really didn't because it feels good it's easy to get addicted to it like any other uh you know performance metric that we have social media right if you're you know get addicted to likes and followers or whatever right it well, feels... what's the, the ultimate metric to get addicted to? Return on investment. Like, right. everyone is, money is always seeking alpha. Right. Right? We want that ROI. And that's what ROAS was a measurement of. Right. And an addictive one. It's like, I'm getting, it, I mean, it's a metric for the sky's the limit on my business. Oh, I'm getting an 8X ROAS. I'm getting a 10X ROAS. Keep cranking money into it. And right. money comes out the other end. Oh, my gosh. I put in a dollar. It gave me eight. I like this vending machine. And that's where I think that breaks down. You put a dollar and it said it gave you eight. Just like the coffee shop, you know, you, you paid me $5 and I said I gave you $10, but you were already going to get that $10. I didn't actually give you $10. Actually, and I didn't necessarily put in just $1. Right. All right. So this is where MER differentiates itself. MER is looking at two facts. The fact is, how much money did you spend? That's a fact. That's not based on attribution. There's no windows to consider. You can look at your credit card statement and decide, yeah, I actually spent this much money. Revenue, the actual amount of money that came into this, that people paid you, that's also a fact. That's not based on attribution. You can look in the back end of your Shopify and see this is how much money we actually brought in. Taking those two facts, revenue, Total revenue divided by total ad spend gives you MER. And what's nice about this is it eliminates that uh, duplicate um, attribution thing that you were talking about before. Klaviyo took credit. Google took credit. Facebook took credit. It was one sale. You got three platforms taking credit saying that it's three sales. You still don't know which one you need to invest in again. And, and to your point about you know all the beers, they all had a, a role in playing in it. So you can't just say, well, I'm only going to give the credit to Google because they were the last click, that's also not effective because that last click would not have happened if the first two things didn't happen, right? So uh, what's nice about MER, though, is it helps you to break down some of those issues to the point where if you say, great, you spent $10,000 and you made $100,000, you've got an MER of 10, right? 100,000 divided by 10,000. If you spend $20,000, do you get $200,000? Do you still keep that, that MER? Does that still happen? Versus if you invest in something that's less incremental, it might say that you got a high ROAS, let's say retargeting. Maybe you spent another $10,000, but it was retargeting and you only made $10,000 more. So you went from 100 
to $110,000. That's not the same thing as going from 100 to 200,000 when you increase from 10,000 to 20,000 in ad spend. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, I think the other issue with ROAS is it is as a metric is too laser focused, right? We're not looking at the whole sales funnel. We're right. not looking at everything that happened to contribute to the sale. Like all really it it's a matter of you know, how many marketing essentially is unchanged now as 100 years ago. If I get more impressions, I am more top of mind and more trustworthy, and a purchase is more likely to happen. It's not a right. particularly complex scenario to work out. And so I like media efficiency ratio from that standpoint that, okay, we're taking a holistic view of this marketing funnel. I like that. What I also like, uh, my, my inner bookkeeper likes it because ROAS, again, uh, it's limited in the impressions and attributions. It's too focused, and it's but it's also doing the same thing with revenue, right? Like as an example, you know, you take a someone like our client Hoonigan, who both advertises on uh, PPC networks, but also is publishing organic content daily, multiple times a day across multiple channels, right. and especially like YouTube. So they've got you know a combined across all channels, it's like 15 million subscribers. That's not getting reflected in ROAS, but I, there, there is no universe in which that did not help assist or inflate that ROAS number. Whereas media efficiency ratio, if we say, okay, we've got this content marketing effort and we're paying a video editor and we're paying a camera guy, I can include that in my, uh, my, my expense uh, portion of the media efficiency ratio, and I know the total revenue that came through, like through an online store, through Amazon, that's another nice part about it is maybe I'm selling right. on my online store plus marketplaces and potentially, you know, these, the organic content influenced those purchases as well, but they weren't set up for attribution. Right. Ah, okay. So and now I, like you've, you've sold me on MER isn't just like the next best thing. It's the best thing. Well, and I'm going to take you back where you said, okay, these organic things happen, this PR drop happens or whatever. Right. And, and saying, okay, maybe that wasn't reflected in ROAS. And I would actually argue it was. It inflated your ROAS, which I think you alluded to, right? And so you have this big PR drop that happens. All of a sudden, your ROAS uh, on Facebook jumps from a 3X to a 6X. And what does your Facebook agency say? We got to spend more money. You're killing it, right? Oh. But is that really what you need to do? Did you get that incremental revenue from the ad spend or was that from something different? It's hard to know. It's not like you know, the agency is not being malicious here. No, not at all. They're looking at, they're doing what we were all trained to do. You see that ROAS and you're like, look, I'm getting, you're getting a return on investment. Why would you not want to put more into the machine? I, I call it advertising myopia, right? I'm nearsighted. Uh, I take my contacts out uh, and I think I can see maybe about, you know. Can you see me? I'm over instances. here. <laughs> no. William, <laughs> Right here. now I can. But we're we're looking at this you know very very tunnel vision in that where you know your facebook team is looking in facebook platform looking at the data that they have and they're making data driven decisions around the data that they have we need to take back a look of but what does this actually mean to the business and so we we like to see what is that return on the spend that we did it's a good thing we just have to realize that what facebook is reporting is not return on ad spend it's return it is reporting a reported return on ad spend. It's based on whether or not it was able to take credit for that sale. And as we, we know, iOS 14.5, it can't take credit for 
a fraction of what it used to take credit for. So it's, it's, it's a made-up statistic now. It's based on a fraction of the data. Yeah, and potentially it was a, a semi-made-up statistic before. Sure. The thing we miss now, though, is attribution. That's what we're missing. And so I think the, like we're talking about the, the joy of media efficiency ratio as it relates to uh, a replacement for return on ad spend. But I think the media efficiency ratio is saying we're looking at like the entire funnel, everything. But I don't know within my, within those multiple channels, okay, which is the strong one? Which is the weak one? What, you know, where can I do better? Where can I allocate more resources? And I think that's maybe the problem, the limitation of MER versus having individual channels report um, report these things. What I, I'd love to hear your answer to this, but I, the solution that we've been using is, all right, you, you use MER, use ROAS where you can. Like, it's still there. It's not gone. Um, but, all right, let's take it with a grain of salt and also be looking at MER. But then there's one more piece we need to add, and it's, Ask the customer how the heck they think they heard about us. I think that's an interesting one. Ask them. And so post-purchase Absolutely. attribution survey, I think, is the way to go. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's another data point that I think is important. I think about it like uh, an x-ray. Uh, in order for them to diagnose where the break is, they're not going to take a picture of just uh, one image. They're going to take a picture of the anterior posterior. They're going to take a picture of the lateral view. They're going to take a couple so they can see almost like a three-dimensional approach to what's going on. And I'd say uh, post-purchase customer surveys are a one-dimensional view that you need to use. ROAS is a one-dimensional view that you need to use because it's still directionally important, right? If your ROAS goes up in platform or down or whatever, it, it still likely means something, right, relative to itself. MER is another one-dimensional look that you need to look at. When you start combining all three of them, you can start to get a better three-dimensional look at what's going on with your business. Not one versus another, but all of them together. You say, hey, you can look at each one, but you need to look at all three to get a holistic view of what's going on. Right. So, like, walk me through a working example where we can kind of hear, like, uh, how you approach it, uh, maybe in terms of, of mindset or framework. Yep. Okay. So if we're going to go after somebody, I want to go after what's going to drive the most net new revenue for your business or the overall most profitable revenue for your business, right? So we're looking at that incremental revenue. Um, and I'm going to look at this and I'm going to say, okay, row as a side, if I spend more money, I want to know that you made more money. So that's where MER is going to be my first number that I'm concerned with, right? I want to look at the fact that if I spend your money, do you make more money? Um, Versus the coffee shop illustration where, you know, you spent money to me and you didn't make money. So then there are ways that we could do this. One simple way is you literally just spend more money and you see if your bank account goes up, right? Does your revenue go up with that? That's the most basic, simple way that you can do it. Now, if you're spending a lot of money on other channels, uh, we've got clients that are spending, you know, $2 million a month on infomercials, uh, you know, $1 million a month on uh, influencers or whatever. Like, there's a lot of other things that are going on here, so you wouldn't know if you just spent more money on Facebook ads if that was the reason why it went up. So then we look at setting up, let's say, a geographic holdout test. Find a pocket of, of you know, zip codes or states or something that you expect to move in a similar fashion to the rest of your uh, audience, right, to the rest of your buyers, and see what happens when you make changes to that. Does that go up more than the control group? 
If it does, you now know that what you're doing here is having an influence outside of anything else that you're doing nationally to the rest of the stuff. So infomercials, influencers, et cetera. So that's the first step that we look at, right? So we're going to say, okay, great. You spent more money. Did you make more money? And if you go to that uh, blog post I was telling you about, you'll see there's a case study that we have there where we show when we do this, um, we're charting Facebook spend against revenue. And you'll see week one, it goes up. Week two, it goes up. Week three, week four, week five, week six, week seven. When you do this now, you know, week after week after week after week, you keep spending more and you keep making more money. And that's the only change that you're making. It goes beyond correlation to, eh, we could probably guess that that's causative, right? There's a statistician somewhere who just passed out, but yes, I'll go with it. <laughs> you're, you're, gonna, you're right, sure. You're going to get to a point, though, where you say, you know, 12 weeks in a row of I push this button and this is what happens, the likelihood that pushing this button causes this is, is getting a lot higher now. Yeah. So that's the MER part. And that's where that's the first part that we have to look at. Now let's say that we've at least adopted that and we look at, okay, let's say that incrementally for every $1,000 that we spend, we make another $5,000 of actual money in our bank account. It's a 5X MER, right? So 5,000 divided by 1,005, right? So we're, we're seeing a 5X incremental revenue on every $1,000 we spend. We look in the platform on Facebook, let's say, and it says 2X ROAS, because it's not getting credit for a whole lot of what's happening now, post iOS 14.5. We can at least say that there's a, a correlation between a 5X MER and a 2x ROAS. Now, we don't know uh -huh. if they're going to move okay. logarithmically or linearly when they move, but we at least could assume that if my ROAS in platform goes from a 2 to 2.5, there's a strong chance that I've improved the actual revenue coming into the business as well. So are you, like, charting this in a line graph over time? Like, we got MER, you know, each week yep. versus ROAS each week? Yeah, reported. And I call it reported ROAS. I don't even like calling it ROAS anymore. Re oh, wow, we're really... Yeah. We're really going hard against ROAS here. Well, because it's not actually the return on ad spend. So why call it return on ad spend? It's a reported return on ad spend. And right? Yeah, we're, you're right. Okay. So, so I look at it that way. The next piece that we're looking at, though, is let's look in Google Analytics. Let's see if this was incremental. And in Google Analytics, a lot of times it's going to take uh, last click attribution. But there's a report in there where you can look at your multi-path report. Okay. Well, let's look at the multi-path report and let's look and filter down by Facebook. Do I see incremental revenue there? Now, again, it won't take credit for all of the revenue that Facebook drove. But if it went up 100% and my spend went up 50%, I'm getting more attributed revenue based on click attribution as well here. That's another point of view now that I'm starting to form this three-dimensional picture that's saying it's not just Facebook taking credit for it. It's not just even my revenue going up independent of itself there is an actual correlation here that's taking place. So I'm starting to see this three-dimensional view. Does that make sense? Yes. How can you increase your Shopify sales by 10 to 15% overnight? Well, you could make a deal with the devil. Can you believe it? All I had to do was give him my soul. <laughs> or you could just use Zipify one-click upsell created by the owner of a $100 million e-commerce store entrusted by over 8,200 Shopify merchants. One-click upsell helps you boost your average order value with targeted upsells and cross-sells. Plus, it's got mobile-optimized offer pages that drive sky-high conversions and built-in split testing for maximizing your results. 
it's no wonder one-click upsell has made its users an extra $162 million in sales. And it only takes a few minutes to install the app, launch your first upsell, and start generating 10 to 15% more revenue overnight. To start your free 30-day trial, go to Zipify.com slash Kurt, that's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T, and to get an unadvertised bonus, email help at Zipify.com and ask for the Tech Nasty bonus. Tech Nasty. Well, and with, with customer reported attribution, where does that fit in the picture? Is that like just a, another layer to confirm what we're seeing in our, our Google Analytics? Yeah, in defining the customer reported attribution that you're looking at. So one of the things we, we've seen people been doing post iOS 14 is on the, the order confirmation page, the, the thank you page. Yep. We fire. Oh, a, sure. Yeah, you fire a pop up that's like, hey, how'd you hear about us, buddy? Right. And then you randomize, like in there is every one of the possible acquisition channels, and then you randomize it so that it's never in the same order, and that way you don't skew toward whatever's at the top. Yes, you should see a correlation there as well, right? So if you've increased your spend by 50%, your revenue goes up, and, and you look at the actual revenue that you have there, not the reported revenue, the actual revenue goes up. You look in your multi-pass report, and that also goes up. So we have, in our, our more traditional way, we say, all right, we think our reported ROAS, let, maybe it's right, let's spend more money on our Facebook ads. And then we should see revenue go up, and then we should be able to go into Google Analytics, check this multi-step funnel, see revenue go up there as well. Right. And then in theory, in this post-purchase survey, more people should be saying, I heard about you through Facebook. Exactly. And then in, okay, so now we have triple confirmation. If we see that, now we go, aha, that ROAS, the reported ROAS may not be exact, but it, it gives us a trend line. You know, good, bad, up, down. Correct. And we've confirmed that it, you know, it trending up, it was not making this up. Right. I finally, okay, wrap my head around it. And the one nuance that I'll make to that is that the reported ROAS, if it's optimized to the same thing and it goes up or down within there. So within that campaign, if that changes, then it is relative to itself and it's, it's worth looking at. But if you, let's say that your total ROAS in Facebook goes up, but you flipped the spend from 90% net new prospecting, 10% retargeting, and you flip it to 10% prospecting, net new people, and 90% retargeting, your reported ROAS will likely go up because it's going to get the opportunity to take credit for more sales, but it didn't necessarily have the same effect in your bank account. So that's why I'd say when you're looking at it in different campaigns or ad spend mix between different campaigns, there's a difference there, and that, that ROAS, reported ROAS changing might not necessarily mean that it's better or worse for the business, but within a single campaign, that should uh, be fairly well correlated. If it goes up, you're likely doing better. If it goes down, you're doing better or doing worse. And the same thing would be for true for ads within that campaign. So you put a new ad into that campaign, and that ad is outperforming the other ads in that campaign. It's very likely that that ad is actually doing a better job. So it's still uh, ROAS is still a worthwhile metric to use relative to other things. Okay, so really it's, we're saying, all right, ROAS is still good, but it is not like the to-the-penny thing that they claimed it to be and that many people suspected was not the case. Right. Essentially, it's like a trend indicator, good, bad. Is exactly. it going up or down? Right. Right? Uh, so we want that, that like trend line, and that's where it's helpful to graph these things over time and in relation to themselves. And if all we've got now, 
you know, three or four reporting sources in the scenario, if they all agree, okay, now I feel good again. And right. so this really does, I feel, I feel pretty good here. This really does help us get out of that iOS 14.5 uh, terror nightmare that we all found ourselves in, or at least Facebook marketers and people who relied on Facebook ads did. Well, because that's what's happening. And so this is the reason why, so that article I told you about, it's 7,000 words, which is, you know, ridiculous, but it had to be because I've run into this now so many times where businesses are coming to us and their, their agencies trying to do the right thing. Um, and they're moving from, let's say a five X, uh, uh, ROAS or something along those lines, right? And they're improving the ROAS in platform by shifting to retargeting or by spending less money, right? So you spend less money, your, your, your overall return usually is going to get a little bit better because you're, you're not uh, pushing as hard as you would need to, right? Each incremental dollar you spend typically is going to be a little bit less efficient as you, as you build and grow out, right? So they're trying to do the right thing and they're saying, okay, we're going to pull back this, we're going to pull back this. This isn't doing as well because it's net new prospecting, right? So pull back on that. We're going to focus just on these core things that are, have the highest ROAS and it ends up being a lot more just retargeting stuff. And so, the, but they're trying to do the right thing by you. And this is what the customer thinks they want. Um, and what happens is we get into this and we look at their actual, so we, we uh, look at P&Ls a lot for our clients as well. And we optimize around profit. And so when we're looking at this and we're saying, when you spent, let's say $100,000 and your ROAS was five, um, and then we actually are looking at MER at this point in time, but the, the concept here is, you're, let's just say your efficiency was five, you you, uh, let's say you made $1,000 profit or $10,000 profit, right? So you're, you're profitable at that. But you, you dialed back that spend because you thought a five wasn't good enough for you. So they were dialing back and they were going more towards uh, retargeting. Now you're at an eight. So you're, you're more efficient. The agency's patting themselves on the back. You're pretty sure you're doing good, but your CFO is kind of annoyed with you because you're losing $20,000 a month. Because that money that's being spent wasn't going towards driving net new business. It was just kind of taking credit for a lot of stuff that was already happening. So you've dialed it back. You're getting a better ROAS. So it, we, as we essentially end up playing ourselves correct. in service to just that ROAS KPI. Right. And, yeah, the way you juice that metric is by shifting the ad dollars away from new prospecting, which is where the algorithm really seemed to struggle. Um, right. And where we seem to see like more impressions and placements happening on Android devices, like the algorithm going to where the data is. Sure. But we know, you know historically Android users do not spend as much typically as iPhone users. Right. So, ah, all right. If I'm trying to just juice that ROAS number, well, let's go to remarketing because that's like I'm preaching to the choir. Right. right? And so I, I will see a higher ad spend there. But those people may have bought anyway. Right. Right. Like, so really, I'm just skewing the metric. Um, and not necessarily like doing anything malicious. Nope, not at all. Following the system. Now, speaking about that, that algorithm, um, our, our Facebook metrics, you brought up an interesting point uh, in the, the pre-interview to me. You said, hey, what do you set your ad goal to? Well, why wouldn't I set it to optimizing for purchase? At which point, you, know, you, you laughed uproariously at me, at my, my innocence. <laughs> why? Why was I doing that wrong? What should I be doing instead of setting my, my ad goal to optimize for purchase? Because that sounds really good. I want to optimize for purchase, not like optimize for meeting new friends. All right? I'm going to make up a st stat, but I'm going to say 90% of the time we're going to optimize for purchase because it is, it is the better optimization goal. 
Um, and if you think about the algorithm, the algorithm is going to be looking at 10 million people trying to decide who is likely to actually make a purchase. And it's going to look at data such as, you know what, has Kurt ever actually purchased anything online before? And it's saying, yeah, he, he has. Oh, I have. <laughs> I very much have. Right. Uh, and so it, it knows that you purchase online. It might know that you're looking at other things uh, like this. You're into tech, you're into whatever, right? And so it could say, there's a good chance that Kurt will make this purchase here within the next seven days because that's all it has the opportunity to take credit for, right? So it has to be, a, if, it's going, if you're optimizing for purchase, it needs to make sure you're really about ready to make that purchase. Versus, let's say, my mom, who I don't think has ever bought anything online. Uh, it's not going to optimize around her in this 10 million people of potential people that are interested or whatever. So it's usually going to be the best. Where that can get tricky, though, is the cost to reach people can sometimes skyrocket when you're optimizing around purchase. And this is, I think, where we're getting to is around the holidays. So let's say Black Friday, Cyber Monday. What is every marketer going to optimize their campaigns towards? I purchase. purchase. Right. Facebook's going to look at this and say, yeah, you all want to optimize to the same thing with this group of people, I don't know how to optimize that. And so a lot of times you might not even spend your full budget. Instead, think about it again. I like to go back to the logic of this. If, all right. Well, if, you, if you're in a place where it can't spend your full budget, you know immediately you have slammed into a supply and demand problem. Sure. As far as like it's an ad, mar it, ad marketplace, right? And so, yeah, if you're not spending the full budget, there just aren't enough eyeballs that qualify for your ad dollars. That qualify. And I like that you said that in there, right? Like you had that qualify. Yeah. There's other plenty of people out there, just not the ones that you specifically said you wanted. And You're not too the, picky. <laughs> and not the ones that the algorithm thinks are going to uh, make that decision, right? Let's say that Mary Harrington, I'm told that... Uh, Mary Harrington, the fake person who I have been receiving mail for for the last decade. I love it. So let's say that um, Mary Harrington sees an ad. Does she know what optimization goal was set when she sees that ad? Does she know if you set that to a reach campaign, a traffic campaign, or a purchase campaign? I believe absolutely not. No. Yeah, it, what you set your individual ad settings to is totally transparent to me, or totally invisible to me, the end user. Right. Her, what she decides to do after seeing that ad has nothing to do with what you've set the goal as, right? And so if she sees the ad and she's inclined to click and buy whatever your product is, it doesn't matter if it was a reach campaign or not. Now, from a reporting perspective, Facebook's not going to take credit for likely much of anything out of a reach campaign from a ROAS standpoint, just so we're clear on that, right? It's, it's not likely going to get much of that credit. But if she was inclined to make that purchase, it doesn't matter what objective you use to set that. So if the CPMs get way out of hand because everybody's trying to do the same thing, there's oftentimes the right thing to do would say, I'm going to switch to a different objective. Same ad, but maybe I'm going to optimize for add to cart, traffic, reach, something else to make sure that these people see that. Now, the one thing that I would put in here to make sure that everybody's at least, if they do try this, they, they do it in the right way, is you can't go with an open audience if you're going to go with reach, right? Because there's a lot of people that it can reach very, very, very cheaply that are not even close to the right person. So in this so situation... This, it would work against me. Because it it's would. like, hey, so if you say reach, it's saying, all right, 
you want to ma- the maximum number of impressions, right? Ignoring everything else, right? And so it's just going to go straight to these are what we determine are the the least sought after. Again, that supply and demand issue. Right. But now working where I have too much supply, right? But if you narrow that audience down with a lot of really good, uh, let's say, inclusion and, and exclusions to the point where you say, I feel really good about this audience. So, so Age. I, all right. So I'm going to set it for yep. uh, impressions. Just like give me straight reach. But straight reach by itself is not a great idea necessarily. But then if I know through, let's say, surveys yep. what my customers like demographically – and what things they're interested in potentially, I can layer that over it. Yep. So I could say like, you go find me the best audience for this within these confines. Right. So I'm going to say like, I know that my audience is typically, uh, you know, female, 24 to 38, uh, lives in a major city. Like as much info as I can, I know about them. And what's that's what's so cool about the demographic and interest-based targeting in Facebook. That's so much more fun than yes. letting the algorithm do it. Um, but so, like, if you know confidently, you can layer that on there, and yeah. maybe that works well. I like this idea. We're combining the algorithm and what we know that it doesn't. Somebody is going to listen to this though, and they're going to say, "Yeah, but you can't get reporting off of that demographic information anymore, right?" And that's true. So you can't get the reporting on who purchased that based on you know age and other demographic information. I was so disappointed when that audience insights tool fell apart on us. <laughs> right. I have my theories on why part of me thinks that Facebook might still know, but because there's so much calculation that needs to happen, it would just be cost prohibitive for them to even try to do that now. Cause a lot of, so a lot of what they're doing, right. And if you look in your ROAS right now too, you'll see this, there's a little, you know, I or whatever that you can click on that says that this is also somewhat modeled uh, data now too. Right. So they're modeling modeled this data. being a, uh, euphemism for we sort of fudged this. Sure. Like if I told the IRS, look, I modeled my taxes, they would not be pleased with me. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, but so that the idea there is that you can't still get that, but that doesn't mean that you can't look at this and say, I know that these are the right people. I'm going to go after them. And I'm just going to make sure that my cost to reach them, my CPM is going to be a third maybe of what it was to go after them from a perspective of purchase. This doesn't work all the time. Like I said, it really depends on the big difference in like what is that spread between the reach objective and that, uh, the CPM on the reach versus the purchase at different times based on, like you said, supply and demand on eyeballs. Okay. I like this idea. I do. Can I run this year-round? Should I just be doing this, or is this limited to uh, Q4 for the holidays? So you brought up earlier uh, something about um, – they, they need to know who you are before they can make a purchase. There's something to that effect, right? They, they can't buy from you unless they know that you exist. Yes. You got to be, I can't just not advertise and expect to make sales. I need to be top of mind. Right. So if, you know, uh, Timmy and Mary Harrington uh, don't know that you exist, let's say Timmy knows that you do and Mary doesn't, the chances of Mary making a purchase from you without knowing you exist are zero. Timmy has a chance because he knows you exist. Mary's got zero chance, unless you make her aware of you somehow. So that's where you look at that and you say, okay, there's an element of how do you still make sure that people are aware of you? I don't like running direct response ads necessarily uh, year-round in a reach campaign, but I do like running other types of ads to get people excited. And I talk about this uh, as the idea of, like, the romance, right? It is a relationship. It, it is. It's a great it- – 
it's a perfect analogy because it it I think it's it's quite uh, directly applicable. When you're trying to romance somebody, let's just call it direct response is the idea of like, you know, if my wife says, "Honey, can you take out the trash?" It's not the most romantic thing. It needs to get done. You know, if if all you're doing now, let's say direct response is like the what needs to happen. It's like here's the thing, buy it. It's not romantic. Buy this, <laughs> right? Um, how do you how do you romance these potential people at a very 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 cost effective uh, tactic like reach? So this could be video views, campaigns, or something else. But some way that you can say, how do you get them to align with your company goals, your missions, your you know things that just are uh, exciting or, uh, engagement posts even right? It's a funny joke that like they would read and they say, oh you get me. Ah, uh, yeah, yes, yeah. There's a lot more to it than just uh, an ad that says shop now, right? right? You can't just go straight to that. Just as on date one, it's not, hey, will you marry me? Right. right? It's, it's can I get your phone number? And then on down the line and you work your way up to it. And so you're like the, the path a relationship follows is very much a sales funnel that potentially ends in cohabitation. Right. And optimizing for purchase, uh, you know, there are enough people where if you walked up to them and you said, hey, do you want to get married? There's enough people. If you were to go to 10 million people, there's probably enough people that would say, yeah, let's do it right now. Right? You're right. If I asked 10 million people, I would find, we'd find at least a few. And that's optimizing for purchase. You'll find the people that are ready to, to buy this right now. They've been thinking about it. Maybe they've heard your podcast and they're like, he's got a sexy voice. <laughs> right? Julie would be a little it's disappointed. So high. <laughs> but yeah, okay. So, so the idea here, though, is that that's what that's like. Reach, though, is this idea where they don't know who you are. They don't know you have a really cool Shopify podcast. They don't know that you've got Star Wars stuff all throughout your office, right? But they should. That's very they important. Should. That's your reach campaign. I like it. Okay. So, yeah, optimizing for purchase, really, uh, you're right. It, it was, it's myopic, uh, potentially. It's less effective now. And uh, it really sounds like we're putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. 90% of the time or more. I'm going to optimize for purchase. But some of your budget needs to go back to, again, that, that logic of, well, how do they to buy from you? They have to know you exist. So how do we get in front of them? And what should you be getting in front of them with? What is that message? How are you going to romance them? And I don't think there's, I don't think there's like a single right answer for that. There is not. That's where it gets into like, all right, you better figure out your positioning and your messaging, which is the thing that's way harder than it sounds. It's the thing that I think we come into most in trying to help our clients solve almost more than anything else is how do you cut through the noise? David Breyer, I don't know if you know him, but he's got a book um, called Brand Intervention. And I even just like that term, right? It's like this thing that it's like, you've got a problem, we've got to fix it. Um, but I remember him saying something to the effect of, you know, you can't say the same thing everybody else is saying. Uh, if you say we've got organic eggs, Everybody has organic eggs. That's not a differentiator anymore. And a lot of people, if you look at their Shopify stores, and I'm sure you see this because uh, you are looking at a lot of this from like the CRO perspective, it's like you're saying the same thing as everybody else. Yeah, you have to make bold claims. Like people will say, I want a website like Apple's. You know, I, right. I like Apple's. And they think what they're looking at is, well, I like it because it, you know, it, it's clean. It's got a lot of white space. It, it, it breathes. It's well laid out. And it is. It, it, like The thing is polished and perfect. But the magic of it, what really makes it sell, 
is the copywriting. They've got these like big pithy headlines that make bold claims, and they're always set in Helvetica new, of course, extra bold, of course. or like extra bold or whatever. But like one that stood out to me um, was uh, their headline for the Apple Watch when they launched the new series, and it said something like, "It's the ultimate healthy lifestyle device." And like I think I, I screwed that up, but that was it. It's it, it like the ultimate device for a healthy lifestyle, something to that effect. All right, so if we unpack that, they made a claim so bold that's like, hey, if you don't buy our watch, you're going to die, William. <laughs> right. And I see you're wearing an Apple Watch and you're still alive, so clearly it works. Obviously. But like, it, it's because they knew. I'm sure they surveyed customers and said, hey, you know, what do you use on your watch? They have usage statistics. They knew the thing people were interested in were the health features. Right. Ah! Right. And so, all right, and they, they surveyed people. They, they focused on that. And so now they positioned it as, if you buy this watch, you're going to live longer. This is a life extension device. Right. Buy one for grandma. All right. Maybe two. <laughs> right. One for each wrist. <laughs> no. Right. Now that one crazy. got away from me. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think, again, Apple's, like you said, it's, it's the copy that makes the difference. And I would even go one step further than that, too, right? It's Apple is the reason why Apple's website works. Because they already have pent-up demand. Because it's Apple. They've already done a good job creating that demand through everything else that they've done. So the website itself, they could do almost anything, and it's going to work because it's Apple. Yeah, I heard. Yeah, well, they they launched new MacBook Pros. Did you order one? I did. You did. Had you even looked at it in detail before? You you knew in your heart of hearts you were buying one. Uh, well, yeah, I read plenty of the uh, leaked documents ahead of time, right? But no, not too in depth. Uh, I I knew that I I wanted one. I was ready. I want one I've not I've not ordered yet, but I'm sure I'll get there. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly. They've got me. I'm an Apple fanboy, right? Everything Apple, I love it. I've got pent-up demand for it. They come out with it. I'm like, yep, I want it. Okay. We have unpacked a lot here. This has been, I really, I feel good about this. I like it, and I'm so glad you were able to, to come in to record this in person with me. Um, but there's one last thing I want to talk about. Okay. Maybe, you, have you heard about uh, the this, this supply chain shortage thing? No. No, you haven't. <laughs> All right. Well, there's something like 100 ships piled up on the West Coast wow. who are struggling to unload stuff and then struggling to get that stuff from the port. So now the containers the are piling up in the streets. Well, and now we hear this every day. Like every morning you get updates on the supply chain on the news. That is interesting because if the national news every single morning is right. talking about this, now everyone, and the advice, well, how do you deal with it? The advice is, hey, you should buy your Christmas presents early. Sure. And if you start, like, shopping now, you, I, we're starting to notice, like, you know, certain things are sold out, so you're probably just going to be buying what's available. This year's hottest subject line, in stock, ready to ship. <laughs> right. Do I even need to be advertising? Is this all a moot point? Can I just shut the ad account down? We're done here. If I've got the product, we could ship it, and that's the end of it. It's a great question. Um, you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier, too, the idea that why don't we, you know, as a Facebook advertiser, generally going to that myopic view again, you, you want to do everything you can within the power to optimize for purchases and go after that and show the highest return on ad spend you can. And, and if anything, you're going to see that you know, people are buying more. So your, your ROAS in platform has gone up. So you're saying, we need to spend more. This is hot. This is really good. We're doing a great job for you. Let's spend more. Let's spend more. Um, but again, that's, that's looking at the data that you have provided, but it's not taking a step back and looking at the business data. 
the business data is going to say, you're going to sell out in two weeks. Why, why increase your advertising only to sell out in one week? That you've, you've lost margin now on products that you likely weren't going to get back in stock soon enough. Instead, you actually should be looking at how do you decrease your ad spend correctly? And so that is one of the things we are telling some clients. Um, haven't had to do that yet this year, but we did do that a little bit last year um, when you know we, we like to work with them on their inventory forecasting. How are you doing on inventory? When do you plan on having more coming in? And, and right now, if we sell at the current rate, how long do you have before you sell out? And if that is you know a short period of time, we're going to look at starting to decrease your ad spend. You need to make as much profit off of each one of those as you can um, from a margin perspective. And the flip side of this is limited inventory, you know, a long time ago for a lot of things, charge more for it. Well, a lot of people don't want to charge more for it. And there's a lot of good reasons not to. It kind of, you know, annoys people. But at the very least, you should make as much profit off of it as possible. Yeah, you sure, Certainly, you shouldn't be discounting. Right. Is what I'm hearing, which is interesting for Black Friday that we're... Mo- and not everyone discounts, of course, like luxury brands obviously right. don't. Um, so moving away from from discounting this year because of that awareness around supply chain shortages, but also trying to get a handle on, okay, here's how much inventory we have. Maybe we adjust ad spend down to try and stretch it out. So like, because I don't want to sell out of every, you know, all my best sellers week one in November, and then right. I'm sitting on my hands for the next six weeks. Right. I want to try and stretch that into, you know, ideally like December 10th. Right. Shipping cutoffs, right? You want to be able to get the most out of that as you can. And to your point about, well, should we just shut it off? Usually no. Uh, you know, unless you have really low inventory, maybe. Maybe that is the case. Um, but I also think that there, I don't know if the algorithms would actually go out and say that there's a, a f- officially this, although I think Google has gone on record and said this. You, If you shut your account off and then on and then off and then on and then off and then on, Think about this from an algorithm's point of view. The algorithm's goal is to find, let's say, good buyers, but also good advertisers. And the algorithm's going to look oh, at this and say, point. you're unstable. And so the likelihood of... You're, there's, the al- algorithm is it's going, those are red flags. You're a bad client. Correct. The algorithm doesn't know if it can rely on that ad spend because Facebook's job is to make money. And it does that by helping you make money. But its job is to make money, right? And so if it's not able to rely on the money that you're likely going to be sending to it because you're up and down, there, there has to be something built into the algorithm to favor um, stability. Hmm. You know, I'd never thought of that. That's a good point. So I, I would never recommend shutting off, uh, but I do think that there is reason to dial it back a little bit if, if uh, you're running into inventory uh, issues. Um, and, and like you said, just really being aware of where you're at with that inventory forecasting, knowing that even if it says it's going to get here in two weeks, do you know that it's going to get here in two weeks? Because if you don't know that, it may be worthwhile to pull back just a little bit, as long as you're still selling through what you need. Yeah, we have several clients now who are like, yeah, you know, we ordered early. We got our stuff into the port. We thought we were good. Now it's stuck in customs. Right. We got several people where it's like, oh, we don't have anything stuck in, you know, in transit. And it's just sitting in customs and we don't know why. So we've, we've been talking to our clients about this. I mean, this is something we're doing year-round, always talking to them about you know, where their inventory is at and how are they feeling as far as inventory projections. Um, so a lot of them have purchased enough early on. I don't feel too concerned with most of our clients uh, in respect to that. But there are a couple that they're, they're hot. We've got one client. Uh, I think they're, they're just about to go on 
Well, they just filmed for Kelly Clarkson's show. Uh, they're going to be on Ellen here, I think, pretty soon, too. And when these drop, they're going to sell a lot, right? So we are at a point right now, we're not scaling up for them right now. Even though we have ample opportunity to, we're just looking at their inventory saying, we don't know now if there's enough inventory for them to satisfy demand all the way through into December. So why, why should they spend money to acquire customers if they're going to get them anyways? You know, at the same time, good problem to have. Great problem. Let's, uh, let's leave it there. William Harris, where could people go to learn more about you? Uh, yeah, uh, element.com uh, is our website. Uh, as far as learning more about me, uh, you know, I'm fairly active on Twitter and LinkedIn. Uh, Twitter is uh, slash uh, William Harris 101. Uh, sorry, W M H A R R I S 101. Know his Twitter handle. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think the, my closing remark would just be that you know, ROAS is is it's just pretend. It's uh, it's it's a it's a made up statistic. So focus on the real. So all of these things focus on the real, like real cake versus not real cake, uh, podcast in person versus a, a made Zoom up call. phone call, Zoom yeah. call. All right, I love it. Uh, William, thank you so much. Thank you, Kurt. If you have an e-commerce business and a creative mindset, or you just like fiddling with your settings like me, then you need the Flex theme by Out of the Sandbox. There's never been a better time to upgrade. Flex has just been updated to Online Store 2.0, which means you get the latest and greatest, like faceted collection filtering, app block support, and more sections than ever for your product, page, and collection templates. That's why when it comes to creative freedom, there's no better theme than Flex. If you want to try it out, Out of the Sandbox even offers a 14-day money-back guarantee. Head over to outofthesandbox.com unofficial. And don't forget to use the promo code KURT20 for 20% off your theme. That's K-U-R-T-2-0 to try Flex today. If you'd like to help us spread the joy of entrepreneurship, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. If you're listening on a smartphone, tap or swipe up over the cover art of this podcast. You'll find some episode notes, including links to sites we discussed, and maybe some details you missed. You'll also find offers from our sponsors. So please support our show by supporting them. And thank you. The unofficial Shopify podcast was recorded and hosted by me, Kurt Elster, produced by my business partner, Paul Rita, for our Shopify partner agency, EtherCycle. Check us out at EtherCycle.com. Thanks for listening.